Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Hello and welcome uh, to this Faith Lead Book Hub event. Today we are focused on hope in vulnerable bodies, addiction, illness, and exhaustion. During this National Drug and Alcohol Awareness and Recovery Month in the United States, Faith Lead is hosting conversations about faith, addiction, and recovery, and more broadly, hope. Every Christian has a role to play in sowing hope in our faith communities and making space for recovery. First, I'd like to introduce Christina. She is a pastor in the United Church of Christ and currently working as a chaplain. Her book is called Loving What Doesn't Last, An Adoration of the Body. Christina, start us off today on this crucial topic. Crucial to unmute before we start us off. Um, I'm really glad to be here um, with all of you. And thank you, Leanne and Faith Lead for uh, gathering um, such wonderful wisdom on such an important topic for all of us. Um, I'm really delighted to be here with Jeff and Marianne who have so much to offer too. And um, uh, just, just delighted. It's really a good and important conversation. I wanted to start with just an excerpt from my book um, to, to sort of as an entryway into our conversation today and, and how we might listen to uh, the body, the human body, um, in its, all its vulnerability. There's a funny story I tell in here about um, trying to get a massage once um, that I tried once as a gesture against gender discrimination to just go with it when my usual massage therapist canceled sick and her backup was male. It was the most uncomfortable and awkward massage I have ever endured. And the part I may most regret is that I only had one bill in cash in my purse. I ended up leaving a tip much more generous than I could afford for a massage therapist I never wanted to see again. <laughs> and I hadn't understood then why. Within the span of just a few years, missing pieces can fall into place in a way that finally makes some sense of the story one person's skin has been holding within. I could try to tally all the potential factors, the harassers who followed me across the street, that one night at kickboxing practice, a poverty simulation sponsored by local nonprofits where I completely lost my cool. Filling out a training worksheet about adverse childhood experiences on another day, only to see my early life staring back at me. And of course, that one day in physical therapy. The point is, who knows how or why or when one particular body decides to tell its truth? The body remembers. It always remembers. I wrote Loving What Doesn't Last uh, in part so that one particular body would be remembered, uh, a body that I helped care for as a pastor quite a few years ago, a body that had been um, suffering a lot um, due to addiction in the very early days of what we eventually called the opioid epidemic. Um, so that's how it started. And of course, writing about someone else's body um, in, 
uh, forces us to reflect on our relationship with our own too. And so loving what doesn't last is that journey, um, exploring putting those pieces together um, through some sacramental experiences of the body, um, water, earth, food, pleasure, um, as well as pain and um, death. As I read from it, sometimes people say, oh my gosh, what a de depressing topic. And even my sister has said, um, I really wish my body didn't remember sometimes, <laughs> or um, my body doesn't feel like my ally. Um, and, um, and what I think is interesting about our experiences in our body is that it, listening to our body and letting our body guide us doesn't mean that, um, that it's it's always comfortable that sometimes what our body's telling us is actually through deep discomfort or pain and how we can listen to that. But I, I, um, I titled the book loving what doesn't last in part because of this experience of the um, limitedness um, that our human bodies don't last obviously. And we lose loved ones and we face our own limitations. And at first that seemed sort of like a depressing message. It doesn't last. But when it comes to um, trauma um, and trauma survivors and people in recovery, sometimes the, the fact that it doesn't last is actually good news. The idea that every feeling um, only lasts so long. Um, so some of what this book is about is finding our way through that. What's our body telling us and, uh, and how do we embrace that? Um, how do we make connections between our spirituality and how we treat our own bodies? And could we live out a spirituality, a theology, a faith life that helps us do less violence to ourselves and to others? I had a um, colleague in social services say just last week that one of her epiphanies came in 2020, and I think a lot of people's epiphanies came in 2020 as the pandemic hit and we reckoned with what we could do and couldn't do and human frailty and systemic frailty, um, our limitations of our healthcare system, um, our limitations of our, our, our habits and practices of caring for community and one another. And I remember my colleague last week, she said, I realized in 2020, I'm not going to do that again. Not going to do that again. She came to a point of realizing that her body was telling her a really important message. And she needed to listen to it. That's where the part about good news and addiction um, comes, you know, when we do listen to our bodies and lean into it, we can move toward greater healing, greater integration, greater wholeness. It's not a steady journey. Um, it's piece by piece as we synthesize what we're hearing our body say and uh, where the spirit might be leading us. Christina, I wonder if you can um, talk a little bit with our folks about um, being vulnerable about your own experiences versus talking about other people's experiences of the body. I mean, you said that your book was uh, kind of the impetus was it someone else's experience, but you being part of that. 
what's the difference there in how you talk about those things? Sure. Uh, part of what I say in the book is that when I started, um, I thought it was the death book, right? It was all about death and dying and accompanying people in that transition from being to not being. Um, and, and how strange it is in church that we are invited into those spaces and their holy spaces. Um, and how I, I wasn't sure I'd ever get used to that because there was a body that was alive, that was a person. And then in moments, um, that's, that's not, that's not true anymore. There, there's not life there. And, um, and how strange that was. And as I was writing, I thought, oh, this will be so helpful for other people, you know, recovery, the, the recovering some, some wholeness and their sense of the body. But the more and more I wrote, the more and more I had to reckon with my own body and the spirituality that I have unconsciously absorbed a lot of times um, and how that impacted how I treated my own body. Um, and I think the, the, the thing about death, I, you know, I write that I thought it was the doorway between, you know, human and divine where they connect, right? Between, um, um, between um, what doesn't last and what lasts forever. It felt like death was that doorway. But the more I wrote into it, the more it felt like it's not death. It's actually this human body. That's the place where, um, that's the doorway where both finitude um, and eternity exist together, where we're both limited by our bones and our muscles and our quirky organs and what they can do or not do, what my intestines want to digest or not digest, um, and our experience of what's so completely holy about, um, about being human. So, so that's how, and, and there was a moment in the, in writing when I asked a, a, a group of friends I was workshopping parts of it with, do I, do I belong in here? I wasn't so sure, but it, but it ended up definitely being a journey um, for me to take. Um, it ended up being something I couldn't write about without also taking that journey of, of really deeply reflecting on how my spirituality impacted how I treated my body and other people's. I think that what I learned about hope is that the body can draw us back to hope by grounding us in our lived existence. Uh, one of the tricks of trauma is that it messes with our sense of time. And um, the practice I was gonna share with us today just to kind of do is a, a pretty common grounding practice. And one of my favorites, it's the five senses grounding practice. And, and the, the hope that returns to me um, in my body when I can um, um, sit in the living, in the being in my body, rather than either the doing or the performing or the all the ways we abuse our bodies, um, that gives me so much hope. And when people can connect that to each other in that being, when we dance together, when we sing together, when we're silly together, um, that returns me to hope and the, the possibilities of healing, that we can, we can rewire that connection between our, our, our body, mind, and spirit. Um, and um, yeah, so that part gave me hope. So what's really, what's really strange is getting back into my body gives me hope, even though it's a place of limitation and stories of, you know, pain and suffering and scars, you know, um, 
there's also so much hope in um, how the holy meets us in our bodies. This is very simple. And I'm um, not a therapist at all, but this one I keep in my pocket. It has helped me and it's helped other people. Uh, when we're fractured, like when our bodies feel like they're revolting against us. And that is to, um, to use our five senses. So I'll lead us in it if anybody wants to join in. Take a breath. If you can feel the ground underneath your feet or the chair, the seat holding you up, if you can actually bring your awareness to being held and open your eyes and right where you are, see if you can name five things Five things that you can see, anything in your view. Once you can see five things, then move to what you can feel, like the sweater you're wearing or the sock that's slipping down the back of your heel, four things you can feel. Once you can feel four things, listen for three things that you can hear. The fan overhead, the cars driving by, Maybe your own heart pounding. Next, try to see if there are two things you can smell. Maybe it's the tea in your mug. Or if you can't smell, one of my friends doesn't have a sense of smell, take two deep breaths. And then, is there one thing that you can taste? One thing you can taste. A little more grounded today, I hope. May we continue to listen to what our bodies are saying. <laughs> 